Building a business ain't easy. It takes hard work, dedication, and strength. This is Success Failed with Philip Long. Must know tips for executives going through the trials and tribulations of growing their own business. Now, here's your host, Philip Long. Hello, and thank you for listening to Success Failed with Philip Long. I'm your host, Philip Long, and today I have a very special guest, Kevin Welch, who is my business partner as well as the senior engineer for Business Information Solutions. We've got a great and jam-packed show for you guys today. We're going to be focusing on uh, what we call MSP3, and it's really a new approach to help you guys manage and help lower your overall risk. And I can't wait to jump into this stuff because it's going to be something that I think is going to be very informative and maybe even something that you've never heard before. So stay tuned and we're going to get right to it. Cyber attack analysis. Let's break it down. Latest cybersecurity attack. Today I want to talk about the Equifax breach, which is really not the latest uh, breach, but it is a one of the earlier breaches of, that we saw that is very much so being accelerated in today's world. This one is, is highly studied is why I want to deal with this one is because they've uh, issued uh, a team to go back and really look at exactly what happens and what we're seeing is other breaches are following this exact pattern. So let's jump right in here on this Equifax uh, failure ultimately. So let's start. We're going to start with a timeline of March 8th, 2017. The U.S. Computer Emergency Readiness Team, they issued a warning about a vulnerability that required a patch. Basically, this is a, uh, it, it had uh, to do with their web servers and they, uh, for Equifax, and it was actually their dispute web servers where basically if you've disputed a charge or something you'd be put into this special database with a special web server portal that you were able to enter your information and all of your personal identifiable information was kept there. Well they issue this report saying that there's a big vulnerability that required a software update or a patch and Equifax indeed received that but they didn't successfully pass on to everyone who needed to see it uh, in order to get that uh, patch applied. And as a result, not all of the Equifax servers received the patch for this particular vulnerability. Now that's on March 8th, right? March 10th, hackers began scanning the internet for servers with this particular vulnerability. So the, let's just talk about these, uh, these vulnerabilities and even the service that basically tells the world that there's a particular vulnerability. That's good if you actually take your patch, but it's bad because now they've told the world that there is a particular vulnerability and how it could be exploited. So that's what happened. They start scanning on March 10th uh, for that particular vulnerability. Then on um, May 13th, the, uh, they actually hit pay dirt whenever they actually gained access into that Equifax online dispute portal server. And as soon as they got a foothold into that, what they did is they started, um, you know, sending commands to see 
you know, really what they had. And there's a, a long laundry list. I mean, literally, you could download these off the Internet right now. But they went on to actually issue queries into not only that database, but other databases, ultimately gaining access to 51 databases in total. So that's where you see this huge amount of data that got stolen is because they, you know, they found a foothold, they basically poked their head up, they looked around to see what they had, and then once they, they kept probing and probing and probing, they elevated their rights, and boom, they get into 51 uh, other types of databases, and that's why there's some, I believe it was 160 million records that were stolen. Okay, so May 13th, uh, they get in and they begin to probe these databases. On May 14th, all the way to July 29th, a total of over 76 days here, uh, the hackers slowly siphoned data from tens of, from the tens of databases containing highly sensitive personal information belonging to millions and taking advantage of the multiple security fails to stay hidden. So really what they did, I call it slow rolling, what they did is they got in and they, to stay underneath the radar of the security detection, they they didn't extract data quickly. They basically uh, mined the data, got it pulled, and exfiltrated it or got it out of the network to their command and control servers over these, you know, 76 plus days. But they did it at a rate so as to not trip or trigger anything in there. And then ultimately on July 29th and sometime on July uh, 30th, uh, Equifax discovers that intrusion and they raise the alarm and they're able to kick these bad guys out. Well, the problem is, is they indeed did get them out and they um, were able to uh, you know, stop that particular mining of data, but uh, that's after uh, you know, uh, 168 million records are released of some very sensitive data. Of course, financial data is often the best data uh, for resale on the uh, dark web. And this cost uh, Equifax a ton of money. Uh, they spent over 200 million on really just overhauling their cybersecurity and possibly, you know, they don't know yet even today, but it's up to upwards of $14.3 billion in fines for uh, this particular breach in the overall expense that it's taken to uh, put in, you know, credit locking services like LifeLock and all that for all the people that were affected. My, my takeaway from this particular breach is that one of the, the largest and fastest rising threats is what we call persistence. This is where the bad actors, they're able to gain a foothold into a network, uh, like through a vulnerability, a patch that's missing, a misconfigured firewall, a password that was breached. And from there, they're able to uh, basically gain a foothold. Then they're going to look around the network and they're going to go and try to um, see what they have first and then see 
to what extent they're able to um, mine beyond the particular machine or vulnerability that they have and then ultimately they're going to exfiltrate the data they're going to steal the data they're going to export it out they're going to sell it on the dark web and what we're seeing today is even they may even ransom you where they'll lock your files and make you pay so they've already stolen your data and they're selling it on the dark web and to add insult to injury they're now going to take your data and they're going to uh, lock it up so that you have to pay them in order to regain it this is one of the most uh, damaging from a public relations standpoint and it's something that we really need to study and as business owners and you know, we, we need to take measures, uh, and that's going to be a lot of the measures we're going to talk about in the show today. Interview an expert. Now, let me introduce you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, well, we're going to get right to the meat of the show. I have a uh, my special guest who's actually my business partner, Kevin Welch, and we're going to be talking about MSP3. And really, it's a it's a new concept that, or at least a new way of of explaining some some ways to protect your company. Kevin, I appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm eager to talk about this important information. Yeah, it really is. I think that uh, you know, as IT guys, Kevin and I have been partners for the past uh, really 18 years, and you know, we've seen a lot of changes. Uh, within the market, and one of the things that really has led us to this place where we're, we want to talk about this MSP3 because I think it's so important. And first, I guess it makes sense to just kind of frame what we're going to be talking about. And ultimately, the MSP3 is really it talks about prepare, prevent, and prevail, and it's really three distinct. Uh, quadrants and uh kind of from a standpoint of history kevin what do you what have you seen uh in the way that you know technology or security and support has been delivered you know what do you kind of wrap that up for me in a in a couple of sentences well over the course of the past 20 years we have gotten very good at preventing and as an industry when i say we i'm referring to our industry we have antivirus programs and we have firewalls, and we have other things that we use in order to prevent an attack from happening. We did a, dipped in a little bit as an industry into prepare. We do run backups, but that's pretty much where the industry has left off. And yeah. we've identified as a company two other segments that have been getting completely ignored. Sure. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more with you as far as like the uh, the prevent. That's been our mindset really as an industry for a long time. And with today's cyber threats, you know, they've grown so much. Uh, and I mean, even in our market, we see it constantly. We see it with the uh, with the event that just happened over at Spring Hill Hospital. And I always like to to point out that every time that you hear about one, there's probably a hundred that you never heard about, right? Sure. And you don't hear about them because number one, nobody wants to make a big deal out of it when it happens, and number two, really, unless it's a shutting down public sector services like a hospital. 
it's just not news anymore just because a small business gets shut down for a day or two or three whatever it is people don't care and they only have to be right once <laughs> you know prevention is great but the bad guys only have to get through one time yeah donald rumsfeld you know he talked about that after 9-11 a lot and uh you know that's that was the deal is that the fact that you know, you've got to be right 100 percent of the time and uh, the bad guys only have to be right, which actually puts you know guys like me and you in the uh, in the IT space really at a deficit because uh, there is no such thing as 100% security. And that's why we developed the other two P's. There you go. So let's jump in. Let's talk about uh, preparation. Uh, you know, some of the the topics that we want to talk about are, you know, we'll just pick them off one by one. I'll let you comment on them. You know, dark web scanning. Talk to me about the dark web and and what's going on out there, and why do I need to have a dark web scan? So the dark web is a fancy term for what's called the Onion Protocol, or typically used with what's called a Tor browser. It's a group of sites that exist um, in an anonymous-style Internet. It's difficult to track where they're coming from, difficult to track where they've been. It kind of started as a place. Uh, Silk Road was a famous one for selling illegal drugs on the Internet. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin came from. Uh, since then, all your stolen password files, all your stolen credit card files, they're all for sale up there on that, on that anonymous-type deal. So... If I was to go out and steal a bunch of passwords, well, then I'll put them up for sale on this dark web on a tour site. Well, if you're scanning that regularly looking for your information, it may be a way to find out that you got compromised before it ever even gets sold and into the hands of somebody that's going to do something malicious with it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, uh, again, it's a lot of stuff out there. One of the things that, um, you know, that I always think about when I think about dark web is that uh, a lot of it also, you know, it began with some secure transmissions that the Navy was wanting to pull off. So the concept was actually a very, you know, in in effect, a good concept to have out there so that there could be secure data. And that's quite frankly why these guys are able to to uh stay anonymous i think it's less than one percent of of guys that are doing these bad activities are actually being caught is because it was very much designed to be stealthy and hidden all right so and we'll jump over censorship it fights censorship such as the chinese and some of the other governments that try to censor the internet this browser and this network is able to overcome that censorship. So their charter is a good, you know, you wonder why there's something like this even allowed to exist, but there is good aspects of it as well. Exactly. So, all right, we'll jump over next and you know, talk about cybersecurity training. One thing that people don't offer is training. We train our employees when we onboard them for everything, but what we don't tend to do as companies is give them simulated email attacks. Give them ways to spot phishing emails, things of that nature. We're not doing that as a as an industry globally, and it shows because the you know that's the number one aspect of ways people get on a networks is by somebody doing something they shouldn't do. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you kind of touched on the other things, you know, talking about uh, simulated phishing email attacks. Those are are very helpful, and that's ultimately where we would, you know, send out to employees um, a simulated phishing attack. You know, something that is it's actually malicious or appears malicious, or it doesn't appear malicious. It appears safe, but yet it has a malicious content. And if you look at the at the recent uh, cyber breaches that happen, email is a major component. Anywhere from sixty to seventy five percent, the uh, the bad actors are sending things in via this means. So that's a very you know it's a large portion. And most companies are not doing anything in that area. Again, while we develop this. Uh, this prepare portion of it. Let's move on just for the sake of time because I want to spend time in each of these buckets because basically these these categories have you know these products or these services uh, that go in that are very important. Another one is uh, what we call governance documents. Why is it important for a company to have the appropriate documents in place? If you speak with some lawyers, insurers, things of that nature, you're going to want to make sure that you've told your employees how they're supposed to act. You're going to want to know this is how we treat our data. And it creates a liability if you do not do the things that you're supposed to do. And in some industries, there's a lot of documents that are required. And people just aren't aware of them. I mean, it takes, a, you know, it, it takes an expert to parse through all the laws that have been passed, figure out what applies to your industry, and get you the documents that you need. That's just not something that um, people are ready to do on their own. That's right. Yeah, and a lot of this stuff, again, is a little bit legalese and, you know, over the years and just because of the change in the market, we've, you know, we've got a team that, you know, we have together uh you know that we put together in order to help with in those areas as well as uh we have some some pre-prepared documents that go a long ways down the road in uh the event. Now, one other thing I'll touch on quickly and we'll move on. I want to talk about employee vulnerability assessments and ultimately what that is and I think it's essential in really, you know, if you're going to be if you're going to do well at managing your risk, you're going to have to know where your vulnerabilities are. And in this area of prepare, uh that actually could split and go two ways. Um one way could be an employee uh you know, be able the cybersecurity phishing attacks kind of things, but also just from a standpoint of how many times has that user's uh, email account been breached? How often do I catch them in that uh, email, that phishing email? What did they score on their cyber uh, security training? And because ultimately what we want to do as business owners is we want to know where our highest risk is so that we can give it special attention to try to mitigate that risk or lower that risk. So really at the end of the day, it, through our, our package and what I think everyone needs to do is somehow form uh, a method by which they're going to uh, be able to evaluate their employees based on risk, and we have a, a proven process that we can discuss, you know, on a one-on-one -on -one basis. So that kind of takes care of the preparation. Let's move over into the prevent, and 
Um, let's just talk, you know, top line here. What are some components that are needed within the prevent category? Again, these are things that people are probably going to identify with pretty quickly. But tell me about some things you feel that are absolutely essential uh, to prevent, uh, you know, cyber crime as well as, you know, maybe even, you know, to, um, you know, prevent downtime uh, as well. Sure. There's some common things that most people are doing, even even a layperson would recognize that you're going to need to have an antivirus that's scanning your files, scanning what you download, a firewall, hopefully one that's doing some site blocking, you know, keeping the, keeping the bad sites away. But then there's some other things that are not as common, uh, offensive malware detection that goes out and checks for footholds that have already been through the antivirus perhaps something was infected before it was on the list on the definitions list and then now it's sitting in the registry or in a command somewhere so an offensive scanner is very important and then also you want to have make sure somebody's watching what's going on on the network typically it takes a, a mix of ai and human intelligence to see what's going on with your intrusion prevention and things of that nature yeah, and you mentioned AI, and you know that's one of the biggest. Uh, it's a buzzword: machine learning, artificial intelligence. Break it down in a simple format. What is AI? So, in an AI, they'll use heuristics to determine kind of what's supposed to happen on this network. These are the things that happen on this network on a day-to-day -day basis. We're not going to flag these. These are okay things. Then there's other things that are anomalies that pop up from time to time. Now these, the AI will look at it, flag it as an anomaly, and then that's where you pass it over to your human interaction. What the human interaction at your security operations center will do is actually look at what happened and say, you know, is this something that looks normal or does this look like something that is a threat? That's, that can only really be solved by human interaction. Really, otherwise, you're going to get a lot of false positives because you don't worry. The extreme opposite is not flag the negatives. So there is there is a component that needs to be handled by human beings. That's right. And with today's world, you know, to me, the way I always define it is that, you know, we have, uh, you know, it's big data and artificial intelligence, which is basically we have, in simple forms, we have the ability to store an enormous amount of data uh, very cost-effectively. We have a lot of internet bandwidth in order to move this data to get it collected and then we have a lot of computing power you know Moore's law talks about the you know the processor was going to double in its capacity every 18 months and he said that in the 70s and that's wrong true I mean so we have a lot of a lot of storage space we got a lot of bandwidth to move that data and we have uh, a lot of processing power to basically look at that data much more so than a human, but you still got to have that human to say, hey, is this indeed, we're not quite good enough to be able to identify every threat to uh, without a human interaction, okay? Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, like just things that maybe are overlooked by some networks like uh, patching of software. Uh, you know, I hear all the time, if I patch my computer, it breaks it. What's your thoughts on, you know, like patching, you're running Microsoft updates and the like? 
So it's true in the past and even currently, not as much currently, but in the past where a patch will cause a software to fail. Um, a lot of times what will happen is a lazy programmer will take advantage of something that happens within the operating system or whatever piece of equipment you're looking at, and then that piece will get patched. That little problem will get fixed, and it doesn't work anymore. Um, the problem is that that's the same thing that the bad guys are using. So if you don't patch it and you need to leave it open for your system to work, then you're also leaving that particular vulnerability open, and it's just best to be aware of that. So you run mm -hmm. all your patches. If something fails because of a patch, you notify your software company. Typically, they've already got the release for that too. We find that when we patch something and it causes a software to fail, we'll disable that patch for a period of time, but we'll also put that software company on notice that you've got to fix this because we do want to be completely patched and we need to be protected from that particular vulnerability. Yeah, it's a much larger conversation. I won't get into it today, but, you know, not patching your systems, ultimately, those patches, a large percentage of them actually are plugging holes in the ship if you really want to, you know, break it down to its simplest level. So, all right, so let's talk about uh, Prevail. This is something to me that is, you know, is totally overlooked by most uh, IT companies, most managed service providers, and it's something that, you know, I feel like is is whenever you're talking about risk management and you're talking about being able to survive, you know, something really bad happening, this component right here keeps you, you know, out of the out of the failure as a as a business story. Uh so what are some components that you feel like are important in that prevail stage? A lot of times as an industry again, you know, I've been in the industry for a very long time. And as an industry, we say, well, we're just going to load really, really good antivirus, and we're going to hope that this never happens to us. Kind of stick your head in the sand and hope it never happens. And then when it does, then you're stuck without a plan. Um, so the number one thing is a, is a plan. You need to have an instant incident response plan. You need to know who's going to do what. You need to assign a team ahead of time. You need to make sure that you've got your business continuity plan ready to go. You've got your backups identified. You know what systems are considered critical systems. Uh, you have insurance for whatever downtime or whatever things have to be paid. You have, there are teams of people that specialize in things such as ransomware recovery and things like that. You never know, no matter how well we do everything else, we still want to be in a position to win if the worst happens. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, I think if we look statistically, they're saying that uh, ransomware in general happens about every 14 seconds, and in 2021, they're saying it's going to happen every 11 seconds. So it's really, you know, sadly, at this point, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, and I think if we go ahead and accept that, and I'll, I'll, I'll take uh, a quick little sidetrack here and I'll just I want to say this to the audience that you know I have such a different response I was speaking with someone it may have been you I don't even know who I was talking to and I was talking about two different insurance companies that I met with within the past week one had just been attacked and I mean brutally victimized by ransomware put them down for two and a half three weeks and the other had never had an attack 
and the difference in attitude between the two. The one guy was like, I want to do absolutely everything I can, the one that got breached or hacked. I want to do everything I possibly can because I never want to go through this experience again. And the other guy who had never been hit, he's like, do I really need all this stuff? You know, I just don't want to, you know, I've just, I don't see, I looked at my budget last year and, you know, I just, I just can't see spending this money. So there is such a difference in attitude, um, you know, between uh, a guy that just got hit and a guy who hasn't been hit. And I think, you know, one of the things we want to do is kind of, again, lay out the risk and then let the person assign that risk. But I feel like if you're going to be in business over the next five years, you're going to have some brush with, with something bad. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you look over the list of people that have been breached, uh, even some of the big ones, I guarantee if you check back a year before that, they've run security audits. They fully believe that they were 100% secure. Um, you know, some of the big high-profile ones like Target, their security team overlooked a couple of details. But I promise they had a security team that was 100% uh, responsible for making sure they were secure and probably had a meeting where they told their stakeholders that, yes, we're, we're secure, we're protected from that. Yeah, we've done our due diligence, we're practicing due care, and we feel like we're there. And ultimately, that's where, ultimately, this, this whole package that we're releasing is so that our our clients, you know, our potential clients, people here on the on the Gulf Coast can say, yeah, you know what, we have indeed done our due diligence and we do practice due care so that in the event something really bad happened, they're totally uh, prepared. Another thing that we haven't talked about is disaster recovery and business continuity, which is a v- essential part of of really what I say in, in Prevail, I almost class a backup and disaster recovery or business continuity solution as really uh, the last line of defense, or maybe the second to the last line of defense. Sure, the business disaster recovery, what we consider our BDR, is, and for most people, a lot of people will have this, is a, basically an image-based backup that can be turned on in place of, in lieu of your live data. What it allows to happen is instead of waiting days or however long to recreate the environment and then reload your backups, backups are good and they're necessary, but they won't get you back up on the day you want to be back up if in the case of a total system failure because you will have to recreate the operating system, recreate the software environment, reload the backup, and these things take a lot of time where a BDR is basically a standby system. We say, hey, we've identified a problem. Our security response plan says turn that off and turn on last night's copy or the 2 p.m. copy, whatever it happens to be. Yep, exactly. That's very important. And, you know, finally, uh, talking about, uh, you know, what what, uh, is often overlooked in our market completely is cyber liability insurance. And just the importance, and let's talk about some components that are needed within a cyber liability policy. So you want to have access to a team that you can trust. Of course, a cyber liability policy, you want to have access to the funds to get beyond a problem that happened. You're going to do everything that you can to prevent it from happening. But if something terrible happens where you're stuck in a situation where you have to pay a ransom, or you have to go through some very expensive recoveries, then you're going to want 
some form of financial help to keep that from damaging your business. You don't want it to throw your budgets off for the next 18 months and, and risk putting someone out of business. So making sure you have the money, making sure they have covered everything that could happen and making sure you have access to a team of professionals that can help you in a situation like that. Absolutely. That's one of the, you know, there's really what I call, I call them panels. There's about 12 or 13 panels. We won't go over all of them, but that being one of them, you know, a, a cyber response team with the money, again, like if you were to try to move uh, $10,000, $20,000 worth of Bitcoins, it's going to have a hold for the anti-money laundering laws that are out there. You can't mo- move large amounts of money quickly. These teams have that money queued up, ready to go, not only to go and pay them, but also even to negotiate and to work through all of the steps that it's going to take to actually get that data restored. Uh, and then even uh, public relations management, you know, we saw just recently, uh, I believe it was WKRG put a mic in the face of someone over at Spring Hill Hospital, and the guy said no comment. You need to have a public relations team or either you need to have some predefined statements so that you know you're able to uh put uh put yourself into a position where you look like you have done your due diligence and you do follow you know you do practice due care process because if not um the shame about cyber liability is you know if someone broke into your business and they stole physical merchandise everybody really gets in behind you and they're you know they're sad and they're all heartbroken and every you know the police are there and everybody's wanting to help you but if you lose all of your clients data the first response is going to be that either you're irresponsible or negligent and the you can add zero if you're found negligent you can simply add zeros to the uh right side of the page as to the cost of what it's going to take to get yourself made whole and those insurance policies are key and essential and you know be totally transparent to everyone you know our policy we just uh not long ago got, revamped our policy because there was some big holes in it that's something that we really want to look at all right. Well, that kind of concludes what I wanted. Any last thoughts, Kevin, that you wanted to to throw in there? Did we miss anything? You know, I don't think we did. Uh, this is some that I enjoy talking about, and I will be available. You can find me on our on our uh, social media and LinkedIn. If you want to get in touch with me, if anybody has any questions, I'm passionate about this. I love to talk about it because. The last thing I want to see is fellow business people here on the Gulf Coast suffering something that was preventable. So yeah, absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to everyone. Yeah, that's great. And, um, you know, I, I really encourage everyone to stay in touch with our um, – with our podcast, we're going to have a lot of uh, great guests, and uh, you know, we just want to thank you for uh, today's episode of joining us for today's episode of Success Failed, and I want to thank Kevin for also joining and, and you know giving us some information that I think is very relevant to the times, and there'll be some great nuggets. And like like Kevin said, you know, we're here to help you guys, and I want to also invite you on our next one. I'm really excited about the next. Uh, uh, event that we're going to have something that I recently got to see firsthand. I was so very impressed. Uh, 
uh, we're going to be over at Prodigy Pantry with uh, Miss Deanne Servos. And we're going to talk about really the things that she has done there. So you're not going to want to miss our next show. So I'd really like to thank you guys for watching, and I hope to speak with you soon. Have a great afternoon. Thank you. It's time to go inside Philip's head. Thoughts of the month. Okay, for the thought for the week, one of the things that I've been working on, and I do it every year, is um, you know setting a theme for the year. This past year for 2019, it was delegate, elevate, and automate, and it really was to try to raise up leaders. and And you know that simple theme, as you know, as simple and and you know maybe even silly as it may sound, has really uh, has paid so well. And, you know, really the delegation part of it is, you know, defining uh, roles that people uh, can take off of you or take off, you know, share the, the load of responsibility throughout the team and, you know, elevate some people. Go ahead and, and you know, put a load on them and see how they perform. And then for us, it's it's really easy uh, with automation because we use technology, but probably it could be uh, extended in most industries. We've uh, automated a lot of, of onboarding clients using some scripts that we made. We also have automated uh, a lot of things in our marketing uh, plan using some technology. We use a, a particular product called Infusionsoft, and uh, even our collections uh, uh program we have automated using that my quarterly business reviews when I go out and meet with clients have been automated so I think it's really important that we develop a theme and a theme that can sustain and can be broken down into you know sub themes what we'll call rocks or something that may take a quarter uh, uh, to accomplish uh, it's really top secret. We're working on the uh, the theme for uh, for uh, year 2020, and I'm really excited about it. And uh, one of the subcomponents of the theme for 2020, I'll go ahead and share. I'm not going to share the theme yet because uh, it's still actually cooking, and we want to do a big launch with our team. Again, this can be a rally cry for your team, something to bring them together, but. Um, one of the components that I'm working on, it has to do with really purpose. You know, everyone really needs to have a purpose. And, you know, I've, I'm always um, reluctant or, uh, you know, I don't know what the word, the exact word I'm trying to find here. But let me explain what I'm talking about. I don't want to assign someone's purpose, right? I'm not a god. Uh, I'm a I'm a mere mortal, a flawed mortal on every level. So you know, I'm always nervous about these things. But I know that good leadership uh, requires being able to lead people, and you know, leadership breaks down into influence. And uh, you know, what's the difference between you know influence and manipulation? Uh, again, another topic that I struggled on. I was so thankful that I kind of got there on it. Where you know, ultimately, manipulation is where you're you're trying to steer people for selfish ambition, whereas leadership or influence is going to come whenever it's in their best interest as well. So I think that's something. I'll say it one more time because that's something that really I worked on a lot in a long time to try to you know, to have an understanding of that because, you know, no one wants to be a manipulator, right? I think it's wrong, it's evil, and it's bad. Well, uh, if we're able to influence people, we're able to therefore lead people, and the way that we're able to do that is where we have a good analysis. We know where we stand, we know what the goal is, and we're able to 
to work that in a way that is not only good for, uh, you know, the employee it needs to be good for, in our case, we, we say there has to, it has to hit three marks. First mark is it's got to be good for the client. It's got to be good for the employee. And it's got to be good for the company. So one of the topics that I'm working on right now, again, is that purpose. And um, one of the things that I think really resonates throughout all industries and for us you know a lot of times we're fixing technical problems we're you know trying to secure networks where whenever we look at it from just that level it's very um you know it's very uh gray it's not really uh in a lot of ways you know it's not even truly satisfying that's not going to be a purpose you know your purpose is to solve computer problems bits and bytes but I think if we if we look a little deeper at what we're really solving, uh, we're really solving human problems, and I think that's where we want to find our purpose. Is that where we, if we can help fellow humans, you know, if we can be a plus in society, uh, a giver, not a taker, I think that that can be a, a big purpose, and that transcends across. Um, not only, you know, um, age groups, you know, millennial, Generation X, Y, you know, baby boomers, but it also, uh, you know, spans across the industry, whether you're in the food service industry, industry retail, uh, technology, healthcare, if at the end of the day, we're able to um, be a plus and to be able to comfort people and their struggle you know and if it's something to do with their computers then great and if we look at our goal our purpose is that we help people uh, to be able to get more done we help people to be able to overcome the challenges that they're facing I think that really is a great purpose because at the end of the day that that drives a lot of uh, a lot of good that drives you know good for that employee that uh, of another company it's good for that other company it's good for society as a whole if we can make things run smoother and faster and more secure then we're driving that company's profits that you know just think of all the lives that can affect so I think when we think about purpose and what I've really been you know working on is that we want to think about what impact the the services that we give is uh, how they affect and impact others. And I think we can find some real satisfaction, something really to, to sink our teeth in that will actually, you know, be, be, um, be a, a real, you know, something that solves a, a problem for someone else, and that is something that solves a problem for ourselves. Uh, I'll kind of expand upon that. I listened to a book uh, recently um, by Tim Keller called Every Good Endeavor. I, I highly recommend that book because, you know, a lot of times people think about what are we going to take after, you know, into the next life after we're dead. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, you're going to take your soul and you're going to take relationships. But he really makes a biblical case for we're going to take our work with us. You know, the work that we do here, we're going to work forever. And I think the whole concept of, of retirement at 65 is a, is a, is a man-made uh, fallacy because I don't think that if we were to solve, you know, uh, every problem that we had, I think that we would be very unhappy. 
And so I think that that challenge is what is what is required for us to be able to continue on and really to find satisfaction and even to thrive in an environment. There was a TED talk I listened to recently and they had they were interviewing people over the age of 105 and the, they were looking for a common thread that kept them alive and a lot of these people you know they weren't the greatest uh exercise people they weren't the greatest people watching their diet but the thing that they found was a purpose some of them and most of the time the purpose was serving someone else it was i can't go you know i don't want to die yet until i see my grandbaby i don't want to go yet until i um you know my my grandchild uh, arrives at this particular position or whatever. So those are the things that I think are going to ultimately sustain us and to keep us uh, going. So appreciate you listening to my, my uh, thought for the week. I hope it is uh, some way to help you become more introspective and be able to you know ultimately think i think our world is missing out on a lot of thought and i think every you know day or you know a couple times a week at least we really need to have some time to decompress and to uh give give life some thought so i hope i've helped you some way uh so we really want to find each of our purposes well, that's all for today's episode of Success Failed with Philip Long. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. I'd also like to thank my guest, Kevin Welts, for joining me today. And I would like to invite you again to join us for our next episode whenever we're going to talk about uh, really the work that Prodigy Pantry has been doing in this market for the past probably 18 years. I'm going to have a special guest, Deanne Servos, who is their uh, director over there with me. So you're not going to want to miss this episode. So make sure that you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so that you will not miss an episode. Thank you and have a great week. Go out and make it happen. You've been listening to Success Failed with Philip Long. Check out AskBIS.com, brought to you by BIS.